church. Good morning. What a great morning of worship. And what a beautiful day. What a great time to be together and to worship the creator and the sustainer of life, our savior, our redeemer, our hope. And I'm so glad, so glad to be here this morning. We are continuing a great, great series called The Best is Yet to Come. And I love this series because God is challenging us as we're growing deeper in our faith, as we're looking forward in hope and in expectation, knowing that God will fulfill his promises for us. Now, we started this series and we said this, that God is still writing our story. And in all of our stories, the best is yet to come. God's not finished with any of us, right? We still have breath in our lungs. We're here for a reason. And God's got great plans for you. And God has called you and God has called me then to be people who share that good news with others. To let people know, and whether it's our kids or grandkids or generations, that the best is yet to come. The second week we talked about this, that our belief has to match our behavior. If we truly believe what God has said in his word, if we truly believe that God is for us, it ought to change the way we live. It ought to change the way we think, that belief in behavior. The third week we talked about heaven. And we saw the Apostle Paul says, you know, these, these bodies, it's just like a tent. And it's going to get worn out and it's going to fade away. But you are meant for eternity. You were created for the eternal life with God. And God has a place prepared for us. That there is more to this life. That God has eternity for you and for me. And the door is through Christ and through Christ alone. And so the incredible joy of saying, hey, God, the best is really yet to come. That we will spend eternity with you. And to think about just the incredible truth of heaven. So often we have these misconceptions about heaven, right? We think we're going to be a, a, you know, sitting on a cloud playing a harp. And we're like, uh, But when we start to really understand what it's going to be like, we let our minds see what the Word of God says about heaven. Wow, something comes alive in us. And this morning we're talking about joy. And I'm excited about today. So I hope you are as well. If you have a Bible, I invite you open with me to back to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is an incredible letter the Apostle Paul wrote. And we're going to be in chapter 6 and 7 today. Or maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures online and follow along with what God's word has to say. We'll also put the scripture on the screen. Now the Apostle Paul was writing this letter to the church in Corinth. And this was a church that Paul had come on a missionary journey several years before, planted the church there. It was a young church. It was dynamic. It was growing. Great people. They were so in love with God. But they were living in a very challenging time. They were living in a very immoral city, right? We, we compared it back then, the ancient world, we compared it today to like being in Las Vegas. You know, it was very affluent, lots of money there, but also lots of immorality. The temple of Aphrodite, lots of temple prostitutes, and there was a danger. Some of that was leaking over into the church. And so Paul writes four letters back to the church in Corinth. Paul's doing mission trips all over, but he loves this church. He loves this church. The first letter we don't have. The second letter is 1 Corinthians. The third letter was a pretty strong letter. It's like a parent disciplining their children, saying, come on, guys, come on, stay true to what God's called you to. Now, we don't have that third letter, right? Maybe somebody wadded it up and was like, whoa, that was pretty strong. But the fourth letter is this, 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians, is just, it's, it's Paul's most personal letter. It's where he pours his heart out. He's like, guys, I love you, and there are great things happening Hold on to God. Hold on to Jesus with everything that you have. And so we come today to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And pick up in verse 1 as we walk verse by verse through these two great chapters. Paul writes, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And so he just says, guys, understand where you're living 
understand the opportunity you have. He's going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where he says, you are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us that you become the hands and feet of Christ. As God draws you into a relationship with himself, as God invites you into this relationship through Jesus Christ, you and I have this call, this responsibility. And we are called to live life on purpose. We're called to live differently than the world. And so Paul's saying this to them, and then he starts talking about joy. And so in chapter 6 and the rest of chapter 7, Paul's going, man, you guys, there ought to be something different about your life. There ought to be a joy in your life that separates you from the world because of what God is doing in you and through you for his glory. Now we're going to see five things that Paul says today. Five, joy comes with five things. The first of all is this. Joy comes with perspective. Joy comes with perspective. If you're taking notes, that's number one. He says in verse three, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance and troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Paul comes back and he's like, hey guys, we've been through it all, right? I mean, for the gospel, we've been through it all. We've had beatings, imprisonments, riots. We've, we've been through it all. And yet he says in verse 10, sorrowful yet rejoicing. Sorrowful yet rejoicing. There's something greater here. There's something bigger here that's happening. So often I think in our lives we, we don't experience joy because we concentrate on what we don't have instead of on what we do have. Have you ever thought about that? So often we concentrate on what we don't have. We're always wanting this and wanting that. And, and that's really about happiness. Happiness, if you look at it, the root word, it's a, it really differentiates between needs and wants. And there is a difference between needs and wants. And happiness, kind of, the, you go back to the root, and it's about containing something, about having something. When I get all my wants met, you know, I'll be happy when I get married. Or I'll be happy when I get remarried. Or I'll be happy when I get, you know, the kids in school or when they... I'll be happy when the kids get out of school. I'll be happy when I fully fund that 401k. I'll be happy when I have this much money in my bank account. I'll be happy when. And we never achieve it. And so many people go through life and they're just down and depressed. And it's hard and a struggle. Why? Because we're always wanting, 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 wanting. And the problem is, right, we never get everything we want. And even if we do, we're just trying to spend our time not to lose it. Right? I'm going to get insurance and everything else so I don't lose this that I have. And Paul's going, whoa, whoa, you're missing it. In your life, if you wait for joy to come in your life when everything is perfect, you're never going to experience that because there's a difference between joy and happiness. And happiness is about what we can contain, and yet joy is something, it's a delight. It's a delight that arises within us when we're in the presence of someone or something we love. Joy is this delight that arises within us when we're in the presence of someone or something we love. Have you ever thought about that? You remember when you were first dating? Remember when you met the perfect person, you were just like, and you would be so nervous, you would be so excited, you'd be driving up, you're like, ah, oh, I can't wait. You know, you'd be with them, and there was this, this, this joy. 
Sometimes we lose that over time, but, but when we're in the presence of someone that we love, it just arises within us like, oh, wow, wow. Happiness, happiness is based on circumstances. It's based on circumstances. And we're always trying to control our circumstances, but joy, get this today, please, joy is based on Christ. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus doesn't change. There's a joy that arises within us when we're in his presence, when we know there's something deeper in life, when we hold on to him. Here's what the apostle Peter writes over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation point. In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope that can... Wow, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says, guys, think about what you have. You have salvation in Christ. God has chosen you. God has called you by name. God has invited you into a relationship with him. You have salvation, and not only that, and you have heaven. <laughs> Think about what you have. You have an eternity that is secure. No matter what happens on this earth, you have an eternity that God has said, I have prepared a place for you better than you could ever dream or imagine. And he says, if you keep going, he says, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Are you being filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy? Is there something deeper happening in you as you fall more in love with God? You know, over the last several weeks, I've been watching all of this that's happened in Charleston. And uh, i got to tell you, I'm so, so proud of our brothers and sisters in Christ there. I, I just can't imagine, you know, being a pastor. And here's this pastor, 41 years old, and two kids, and, and a wife, and in a Bible study, and nine other people shot down. Murdered. But yet I've watched him, right? As he talked about this, as the bond hearing came and as many of them stood up and just said to Dylan Roof, I forgive you in the name of Christ. You took something that was so important to me and yet I forgive you. And then I watched last week, I came back and watched some of the church service that they had. And, and I watched the pastor said, you know, we're not rioting in the streets. There's something deeper here. There's a joy here that we know, we're brothers and sisters, we will see them again, and we love them, and I just thought, whoa, wow, this is different. <laughs> this is different than the world. And there's still the hurt, and there's still the pain, and there's still the grief, and there's still the struggle. But in the midst of the hurt, and the pain, and the grief, there is a Christ who is for us. And there is a God who is greater. And guys, we're all going to go through struggles, we are. And some of you, you're probably here today, and you're, you're just thinking, man, life is tough. It's hard. And you're right. But today, I think God just wants to lift our chin and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm still with you. <laughs> and I love you. And I'm greater than anything you will ever face. You hold on to me. You trust me. 
focus on what you have and not on what you don't. The second thing I think Paul says is joy comes with people. Joy comes with perspective, but joy also comes with people. Pick back up in verse 11 of chapter 6. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. You, know? you can just see Paul pouring his heart out. Hey, guys, we love you. We love you, church. We're so thankful for you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you're withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there be between Christ and Baal? Baal is a pagan god. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we're the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He comes back and he says, man, it's important who you surround yourself with. Now, when he's talking about this, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Is he talking about that we shouldn't hang out with non-Christians? No. Paul gave his life to being around non-Christians. Paul gave his life to being around Gentiles. Paul gave his life to being around people who didn't know God yet. Paul was passionate about that. But what Paul was saying is don't be equally yoked unless they're on the same page with you. See, back then when they would plow a field, right, they would take two oxen, and they, two oxen had to be of the same strength, and they would put a yoke over them, and they would pull a plow. And you didn't put an oxen with a donkey, right, because it was going to go down like this, and, and you wouldn't work, you wouldn't be able to plow the field. But when you're in the work, and when you're in the call, when you're going forward, you need to be locking arms with people who have the same passion and the same calling. You need to be equally yoked. That's why it's important who you marry, right? Those of you who are dating right now, I mean, it's important, man, that they love God, that they love God even more than they love you. It's important to pray for a godly spouse. And maybe if you married somebody who's not a believer, that you're praying for them, they come to know the Lord. And that's important because who are you yoked with? Who are you locking arms with? Who are you going forward with? You think about Paul's ministry? Yeah, he spent so much time sharing the gospel with people who didn't know Christ yet. He loved all people just like we all love all people. But Paul's close companions... Barnabas, known as the son of encouragement. I mean, I think this guy was always excited about God. I was just like, this guy, you know, he's always on fire. He was generous. He would just love God. And Paul's like, I want to hang out with you, you know. I mean, you think about it, Silas. You remember they, they're beaten and they're thrown in jail for sharing the gospel. And at midnight, what are they doing? Are they saying, God, really? I mean, no, they're worshiping. They're worshiping and all the other prisoners are listening. And then the jail doors throw open, right? They're like, ah, I want to hang out with you. You know, Titus. Titus was one of his good friends. He sends Titus to the church in Corinth. We'll see in a minute. It's just these guys who, man, we're going to serve together. We're going forward. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, you are known by the company you keep. You're known by the company you keep. So if you look at your close relationships, are they bringing joy in your life? Are they picking you up? Are they challenging you? Are they encouraging you? Are they helping you grow deeper in your faith? Now we all need all kinds of friends. We do. We need to be pouring our lives into people who, are, who don't even know God yet. But in our lives are the people closest to us. That's why church is so important. That's why community is so important. Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. This is this great verse. And uh, it says, Better is a meal with vegetables where there is love 
than a fattened calf with hatred. <laughs> and so often I look at people and I just see, man, life is hard and a struggle and, and there's no joy. And I'm thinking, well, who are the people around you? How are they helping you grow? How are they helping you experience life and experience joy? Joy comes with perspective, right? Joy comes with people. The third thing we see is this, joy comes with purity. Look at chapter 7. It says, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Notice that he says, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness. Holiness means to be set apart. That you purify your mind, you, you purify your heart. What do, what do you think about most of the time? What dominates your mind? What dominates your thoughts? Have, have you ever watched a, a little kid play? You know, many of you are parents or your grandparents. You little kids, man, they just don't have a care of the world, do they? They just have so much fun. You watch them play, and they're on a swing set, and they're going everywhere. They're riding their tricycle, and they've got their cape on, man, and they're just going down the road. They just love life. They don't have a care of the world. Why? Because their mommy and daddy's going to take care of it, right? I mean, they're just like, why get stressed out? Why get worried? I don't have to do that. You know, I'll let my parents deal with that. You know, I can just live life. I can have joy. I think something in our life changes when we go, oh, daddy's got that. I don't have to carry this worry or this stress or this fear, this anxiety. Dad's got that. I'm all right. I just need to do what God's called me to do. I need to live it. But so often, man, worry and stress steal our joy, don't they? How many of us, we just, we just live life and it's like, oh, we're carrying this weight. We're carrying this burden because we're trying to control everything like we can really control it. But we're trying to, we're trying to make it happen. We're trying to do all this. And yet there's a God who's saying, I got it. I got it. Hold on. I got it. Trust me. And when our mind and our heart start to think that way, I think that's why Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We're like, well, I can't see God because I'm seeing worry and stress and anxiety, man. I'm seeing fear. That's all I'm seeing. He's like, no, 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 no. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The fact of the matter is this. I want you to get this today. Joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. It's a choice you make. It's a choice I make. Or it's a choice we, we don't make. Right? I'm not going to live life with joy. I'm not going to experience that because I'm going to think about everything else that can go wrong. And I'm going to control everything else around me. Or I could choose. I could choose joy. Frederick Beatner, he said this. He said, the world is full of suffering indeed. And to turn our backs on it is to work a terrible unkindness, maybe almost more on ourselves than on the world. But life indeed is also to be enjoyed. I suggest that may even be the whole point of it. <laughs> I more than suspect that is why all the sons of God and daughters shouted for joy when he first brought it into being. So they get all the sons of God and daughters shouted for joy. Good job, God. You got this. Thank you. You're in control. You are sovereign. You are bigger than me. And I'm holding on to you. John Piper, who's a, a writer, author, speaker, and uh, I heard him speak one time, and he was talking about the life verse that him and his wife chose on their wedding day. It's from Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3. And I was like, man, I can't wait to hear this, right? The, your verse on your wedding day, what did you choose? Here's what it says, verse 17. 
Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. I'm like, wow, that was pretty dynamic and exciting. But verse 18 says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I was like, wow, there's some depth there in there. Yet I will rejoice. I will choose. I'll choose what goes in my mind. I'll choose what goes in my heart. I'll choose. I'll choose joy. Joy comes with perspective. Joy comes with people. Joy comes with purity in our lives and in our hearts. And joy comes with purpose. Joy comes with purpose. Look at verse 2 of chapter 7. Maybe if you have a heading at the top of this section, it probably says Paul's joy. Because <laughs> that's what he's talking about. He says, verse 2, make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have exploited no one. I did not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by his coming, the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given me. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. My joy was greater than ever. And you're thinking, Paul, how, how could you say this? I mean, things were hard, and they were challenging, they are difficult. You know how? Because Paul was going, listen, I'm living on purpose. I know what God has called me to do. I know the direction I'm supposed to go. I know there are going to be challenges along the way. God didn't promise any of us it was going to be easy, right? But he did promise he would always be with us. And I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. Uh, I grew up playing basketball. It was kind of my sport. I loved to play. And, and uh, I remember in high school, I had this coach that was just tough. I mean, this coach, we would get there at 5.45 in the morning for practice before school started, and, and we would run. He wanted us to be in the best shape of any team out there, right? And so we're running bleachers the whole time, and bleachers, bleachers. And then we would come down the court, we would run these line touches, you know, run free throw line in the back, and then half court back. And then, you know, it was like, you know, we're, we're just going, and I'm going, why am I doing this? You know what I mean? I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about, like, what in the world? But then the game would come, Right? And we would have a good game, and, and we had a good team, and, and we won some games, which was fun. And we would go to district and play in these tournaments. And after the game, man, we were fired up. And we were high-fiving everybody. We are jumping on everybody. You know, you got the band and the cheerleaders and everything. And it was so fun. And there was a joy. Did it mean everything was easy? No. Did it take a lot to get there? Yes. In our Christian walk, in our Christian life, there's times you spend in the Word. There's times that you just put on your knees. There's times of pouring your heart out to God. There's times of anguish of just saying, God, help. I need you. And God's going, I'm with you. I'm with you. And then there's times of just incredible joy. And you're watching God transform lives around you. You're seeing God do what only God can do. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, be joyful always. Because you know God is at work. You know something bigger is happening. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will for you? Be joyful always, <laughs> pray continually, 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. A guy named Paul Thigpen wrote a book, and he tells a story about getting up one Saturday morning, and he, he went in, and he just cleaned the whole kitchen, and he cleaned the living room, and it was just perfect. And then he had to go run an errand, and he comes back home, and the kitchen's a wreck. You know, he like walks back, and he's like, what happened? I mean, pans are everywhere, flour on the floor, cabinets open, and he's about to blow a gasket. And then he looks down, and he sees a little note from his four-year-old daughter. That says, I'm making something for you, Daddy. And he said, wow, all the anger just went away, right? It was just like, wow, wow. There's a work in progress here. There's something happening here. That's why I think it says in James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kind. You're going, consider it pure joy when I go through trials of many kind? Are you kidding me? That's hard. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you... Face trials of many kind, knowing that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. That you can hold on to God. That you know that God is sovereign. That you know that God is at work. And many of us have been watching, you know, this past Friday as the Supreme Court ruling came out. We live in an ever changing culture, church. And the ramifications are going to be felt for us as individuals, for us as a church, for us as a society. For years and years to come. But the fact of the matter, it doesn't change, is this, is that we are called to love God and to love people. And we are called to take care of orphans and to feed the poor. And we're called to become fully mature disciples of Christ. It doesn't change our purpose. We're going to have changes that are going to happen all around us all the time. We live in that kind of culture. But God has called us. God has called you and God has called me to love, to serve. To be the hands and feet of Christ. To offer grace and offer mercy. And we see that when you're living on purpose, I want to tell you that's where joy comes. When you're living on purpose as a dad, when you're living on purpose as a mom, when you're living on purpose in your workplace, when you're living on purpose as a disciple of Christ, that's where you experience joy. And we can get caught up in all kinds of things that are happening around us at work, at home, in our country, in the world. And we can get lost in all of this instead of just saying, God, you've called me. In this day, and in this time, and in this generation, to be the love and light of Christ. I've got a purpose, and my purpose is greater. And joy comes with number five. It's this. Joy comes with passion. Passion. The rest of chapter 7 says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter. Now Paul's talking about the harsh letter that he wrote, the hard letter, the strong letter he wrote to them. He says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you. But only for a little while, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. You know, as a parent, you know this. When you have to discipline your child, and it's so hard, it's so difficult, yet you see them respond, and you see the change. He said, for you became sorrowful as God intended. And so we were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong or the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us we are, by all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was. Because this, 
his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you are all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. And the Apostle Paul just pouring his heart out, just pouring, saying, guys, I love you so much. And watching you grow up and watching you mature and watching you live for the glory of God. See, you and I as believers, as followers of Christ, we have a front row seat to see life transformation happen. We have a front row seat to see God redeeming and restoring and making things new and making things right. And we can never lose that passion. We have the greatest calling there is. Wow. And there is a joy that erupts within us as we live life with passion. As we don't get caught up in the, in the things of life, we just live for the glory of God. We come alive. We come alive. At Rolling Hills, our, we have eight core values. And core value number five, our core value says this. Joy, joy will permeate everything we do. Church is designed to be enjoyable. Joy will permeate everything we do. We want people to come to church and be excited. We want people to come to church and go, yeah, I'm in the presence of a God who loves me. God has a plan for me. God has a purpose for me. And we get excited about that. That's what I love. It's just living life with purpose. Living life for the glory of God. C.S. Lewis, his partial autobiography, he had titled it this, Surprised by Joy. C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist, brilliant, brilliant thinker, right? He came to know Christ. J.R.R. Tolkien and others led him to Christ. And he said, what I was so surprised by was joy. I didn't think that coming to know God and having a relationship with God would bring such joy in my life. And he said, it was the signpost, the signpost. And he says, but what I've discovered is as I grow deeper in my faith, as I grow deeper in my walk with the Lord, what happens in me is a deeper joy, a deeper joy, a deeper joy. Are you experiencing that joy? Do you have that joy in your life today? Here's what Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter 12. It says, guys, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run the race marked out for us with perseverance. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now what was the joy set before Jesus? How could Jesus endure the cross? The worst possible way to die, right? On a cross, nails, hanging there. What was the joy set before him? The perspective to know that God was doing something bigger. The people, as he looked down through the corridors of time and saw you, and said that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. The purity of his heart to say, Father, forgive them. They, didn't, they don't know what to do. God, forgive them. And so many times in our lives, instead of offering forgiveness, we carry that with us. We carry that bitterness and that resentment, and it weighs us down. And we don't experience joy. For Jesus to look out and for Jesus to understand his purpose and the passion of Christ, the love of Christ. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. 
Maybe you're here today and, and you're just weary. <laughs> Maybe you're here today and times are hard or difficult or challenging. Listen, don't lose heart. There is a God who is with you. There is a God who is for you. There is a God who believes in you. There is a God who wants to say to you, the best is yet to come. This coming Thursday, I leave with a team from our church to go to Moldova. And uh, this will be my, I guess, 15th time to go over to Moldova. We started going as a church when we first started. We had 15 people at the church. We took 18 people six months later and went to this country of 4 million. And yet statistics like 60% of girls trafficked into prostitution in Western Europe come out of this country of Moldova. And it just broke our hearts. And we said, we've got to go. And we've got to work with orphans. We've got to be there. And I've served with many of you in church. You have been so faithful in giving and going and praying. And you're making an impact in our country. You are changing a country. And I'm so thankful. And the country has challenges, no doubt. But we're seeing God do an incredible work. Working with hundreds of orphans. And, and Grace House and Transitional Living. And 11 different orphanages, state-run orphanages throughout the country. But you know, whenever I go on an international mission trip, and whether it's Moldova or South Africa or whether it's to the Amazon, you know what I see? I see Christians, believers who have nothing. I see believers who, who, who in this world, they don't have anything that we have, right? I mean, as far as food and as far as clothes and as far as material possessions, and yet what they do have? Joy. <laughs> And you watch them worship, and you watch them love on their families, you watch them go and serve, you watch their generosity to give, you give them something, or they make something, they turn around and want to give it back to you, and you're like, no, you need it, you don't even have shoes. And they're like, yeah, but, but you've blessed me, and I want to give this back to you. Every time I go, I'm the one who's changed. I'm the one who comes back and says, whoa, it's not about what's happening in this society or this culture, it's about Christ. It's about Christ and in Christ alone. And as A.W. Tozer says, A.W. Tozer says, we must build the inward habit of beholding God. And as we learn to build the inward habit of beholding God, you know what comes out of our life? Joy. 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 So this morning, I can think of no greater way for us to build the inward habit of beholding God than by coming to his table, by sharing communion. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he looked at his disciples and he says, guys, I love you. I care about you. And this is my body broken for you. Think about the gift that you've received in Christ. My body broken for you. And after supper, he took the cup and he says, guys, this is the new covenant. You were under the old covenant before? There is a new covenant. It's a covenant of grace. It's a covenant of love. It's a covenant of joy. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this morning, I want to invite you to his table. This is not my invitation. This is not the invitation of Rolling Hills. This is the invitation of God himself. <laughs> this is the invitation of a God who sent his one and only son for you. There's two tables set up over here. There's a gluten-free table on this side. There's two tables in the middle and two tables in the back. I'm going to invite some of our A6 leaders to move to the tables. Some have already are moving there. And they're just going to be there to hold the bread. They're going to be there to hold the cup. They're going to be there to pray with you and to pray for you. Do you have joy in your life? Or in your life, are you still saying, hey, 
when I get this, when I get that, when this is working, when everything's perfect, then, or today, do you just need to come and say, God, I confess, I need you. God, I confess, I've been looking for joy in all kinds of places, but I just need joy in you. I want joy in our marriage. I want joy in our family. I want joy in what I'm doing. I want joy in purpose. God, you made me. You created me. God, you know me. And God, I need you. So, Father, here we are, your disciples today. And God, we confess that so often we get caught up in what's happening in the world. We, we live with stress and worry and fear and anxiety. And God, I confess, I do that so often. And I take my eyes off you. And today, Father, we come and just find our hope and our life and our joy in Christ. I pray, Father, for anybody here who doesn't know you, that today you would draw them to yourself. That we are all equal at the foot of the cross. We all have sins. We all have needs, God. We come to you today. Father, I pray for all of us, God, that this will be a time of worship. This will be a time of prayer, a time of response. A time to receive what you came to give. And God, we come to give you our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and we come to your table. Amen. You're invited to come.
give God a thank offering this morning to say thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Your love has rescued me. I pray those words would never leave us, that we would understand that God is for us, that we would understand that there is more to this life, that we would understand that we will see our loved ones again, those who have gone before us. We don't grieve as people who have no hope. There's something deeper about being a follower of Christ that should change us and change the way we live. That our hope and our life and our joy is in Christ and in Christ alone. God is for you. He is with you. He loves you more than you even love yourself. Just think about that and hold on to that truth. Hold on to that truth. After the service, I'll be here. There'll be people on our staff, our pastoral care team. I'd love to talk with you. Love to pray with you. Whatever you're going through, you're not alone. You're not alone. And God is with you and you've got a church that just wants to surround you and to walk with you as well and to pray with you and to encourage you. To say, stay true. Stay true to God. And you'll find your joy there. At this time, I want to invite our ushers to come. It's a chance for us to give back, you know. Joy always erupts in generosity and, and in giving. And, and so as our ushers come, I want to lead us in a word of prayer. You'll see a video just about what God's doing here at Rolling Hills and just some ways that we can continue to get involved. And so if you want to go ahead and be seated, and then I'll pray over us. Father, thank you for your presence this morning. God, thank you that you're a God of joy. You know, I mean, you're the one who created it. You're the one who established it. The thing that you created joy and love and hope, that you are God. And that when we are in you, Father, joy erupts. And so draw us to yourself. Allow our minds and our hearts to find our worth and our value in Christ. Thank you for an opportunity to give back. Take what is given. Bless it. Use it, Father, to impact orphans in Moldova, to impact the poorest of poor in the Amazon or South Africa or, Father, just right here in our community. And allow us to be people of joy. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and we give. Amen. Hey everyone, welcome to our Next Steps Minute, a time each week where we can share stories and highlight opportunities for you to join us in our 24-month Next Steps churchwide initiative to reach out, grow up, and give all. In March of this year, we were blessed with over 22,000 square feet of new preschool, children's, and student space. Today you'll hear from several members of our family ministry team as they share how your faithful investment is allowing us to reach and equip the next generation of Christ followers like never before. Hi everyone. On behalf of the family ministry team and the hundreds of kids here at Rolling Hills, we just wanted to tell you how incredibly grateful we are for your commitment to give all in our Next Steps initiative. Because of your generosity and God's blessing, we were able to open some incredible new worship spaces along with many small group environments for our kids and our students. The new space gives each age and stage a home and it allows for our already fantastic volunteers to be able to serve and teach well. Here at Rolling Hills, we've always said that the church is not a building, it's people. And the building is a tool to simply equip people to model Christ in the world. So whether it's tiny potties, sinks in the classroom, paint on the wall, carpet on the floor, we just want to say thank you for helping us create a safe and engaging environment where your kids can come and they can learn more about Jesus. As Anna was saying, our new children and student space at the Franklin campus has been a huge hit with both kids and their parents. It's been great to meet so many families visiting so far this summer and I know that when school starts up again, this space will literally be utilized five days per week. Even more importantly, 
this will be the place where many of your children will have their first introduction to the person of Jesus Christ. I can't imagine anything more worthy of our investment. On that note, I want to take a moment to remind you that although this space is built, it's not fully paid for. So as you continue to fulfill your Next Steps commitments, you're helping to achieve the goal to pay for this project in full by March of 2016. So thank you for your faithfulness in this effort. And as an update, South Nashville, we've been diligently looking for a permanent facility for you as well. We feel like God has given us clarity of vision and mission. Now we just need him to provide the location. So I'm gonna ask all of our Rolling Hills family, would you make this a matter of prayer as well? Now I love hearing the stories of how God is transforming us as we take our next steps of obedience together. We really are moving from Jesus and me to Jesus and we. So may God bless you as you continue to reach out, grow up, and give all. To learn more about how you can track an existing pledge or join us by making a new pledge, go to rollinghillscommunity.org slash next steps. Let's stand together, church, and let me pray a blessing over us. I would appreciate your prayers as we, I leave with the team on Thursday, and we have another team heading to the Amazon, and just the work that's happening right now, we have teams in Moldova, and it's amazing, it's amazing. Someday, I hope and pray God calls all of you, and then someday you go, because it's just awesome to see what God's doing. So be praying for us. Next week, we'll be in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, talking about generosity, and just the best is yet to come, even in our lives in that area. So, Father, thank you. For what you're doing here at Rolling Hills, thank you for what you're doing in our lives, God, as you're drawing us to yourself and inviting us into a deep relationship with you. And thank you, God, that joy is what comes. We love you and send us out as people are redeemed and restored to make a difference in our lives. Father, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week and God bless. Bye-bye.